Hello, fellow rebel capitalists. Hope you're well. I'm here with my good buddy, Patrick Serezna, co-host of what I think is the best macro podcast out there, even way better than mine. It's called Macro Voices. If you guys haven't heard about it, you got to check it out, subscribe. But he is here today to talk to us about the top three strategies for shorting the stock market. You guys know from watching my videos that I think that there's some storm clouds that are on the horizon, to say the least. We look at what the yield curve is telling us, and that means most likely that at some point in time, the stock market will go down by quite a bit. So how do you take advantage of that? This is something I've been wondering for my own portfolio. So I called up my good buddy, who is a top expert at options and pretty much all things involving trading. I said, Patrick, come on the Rebel Capitalist Show. You can walk me through it. And at the same time, you can get my community up to speed. So that's what this live stream is all about. So Patrick, thanks for being here, buddy. Well, thank you for having me, uh, George. It's such a pleasure. It's uh, looking forward to taking a deep dive into all of this with you. Yeah. Now, you, we were talking prior to hitting the record button on how it's very important when you're shorting something like the S&P 500 to get the timing right. And mm -hmm. a lot of times people are way, way early and they get stopped out of their position or something like that. And then they're, they're right long term, but they end up still losing money. And one thing and, we've and been talking about here is it's not just when the twos and tens invert, but it's when they actually steepen out and when they are no longer inverted, that's when the stuff usually hits the fan. And right. we're getting close to that point, but we're not there yet. So we might have a month or two, maybe three months before we see that kind of magic moment, if you will. So I think that's perfect to start the charts that you have. Love it. That Love are kind it. of talking about timing. So, so George, what we should do, uh, well, first of all, let's I want to talk about those interest rates, but I also want to talk about uh, the importance of timing. And uh, what I want to think, kind of have everyone think about is the, the movie, The Big Short. And uh, everyone remembers uh, Mike Burry's character there, uh, um, played uh, by uh, was it Christian Bale or yeah, yeah I think it was, yeah, Christian Bale. Uh, uh, was playing him, and uh, he was so sure that the subprime was going to blow up, right? And he sets everything up, and then just remember the pain he felt for being early. Yeah, and most it, of his it, investors left. Uh, it just uh, he took so much flack, so much heat. The market was going against him. They weren't pricing it in, and he knew he was going to be right. And the stock uh, and the markets uh, just wouldn't reward him and caused huge pain. Yeah. And I, I actually still feel that that uh, it could be a risk. And so I really want to use some analogs from the 2007 period uh, to kind of talk through this. Because when you're talking about a yield curve steepener, yeah. uh, the primary uh, steepening historically, especially during a crisis, happens when uh, the Fed has to start cutting interest rates and easing. Therefore, the two-year bond just uh, um, the yield collapses and the, the two-year bond skyrockets, uh, skyrockets relative to the 10-year and you have that, uh, that inversion in price, right? uh, uh, flips. And so the period where the real steepener kicks in 
is actually when the Fed starts cutting. So what mm. we really saw uh, in this last steepener sequence that just happened right now was the bond market saying the Fed's almost done. And, and when we heard Powell, he said, no, 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 we're going to keep going. And the bond market saying bullshit. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's basic. Uh, and, um, and, and so the thing is, is that we're now in this kind of gray region where the Fed has a, a path and they say, we're going to stay consistent until we see the cracks that we have to stop raising and, and, and inevitably turn. And, uh, and so what I wanted to do is talk through what happened with rates and how the market behaved to it. And then once we kind of talk about this holistically and talk about what could go on in different scenarios, then we'll get to the option strategies of how to, how to short it and how to, how to play through that sequence. So what I'm going to do right. is I'm going to start off by sharing what we have here is the Fed funds rate from 2004 to 2006. Okay. And so what, so Alan Greenspan was still uh, at, at the helm when he started the rate hike cycle in 2004. And gradually, 25 basis points at a time, uh, and inevitably when uh, Ben Bernanke took over in the final uh, two rate hikes, uh, we basically had this rate hike cycle that was essentially a 4% rate hike cycle. But here's the key, a 4% rate hike cycle in a two-year span that was done very gradually and methodically, very different than what we experienced. We're already like, almost, well, actually here I'll quickly show, but we are already at four and a half percent rate hikes that have occurred within one calendar year. Mm, so it's wow. already greater than that. Now, there's a lot of things, uh, you know, that uh, there's a big debate about macro people about the significance. But one has to also take into account that back in 2007, uh, in, in that period, there was about $50 trillion of uh, U.S. credit stock, which is all forms of debt now, all levels, the total amount of debt outstanding. And it was taking like $3.5 trillion of interest payments to service that debt. Today, we were at over $90 trillion of credit stock. And mm. because of zero interest rates and low financing rates, we were still only uh, uh, talking about $3.5 trillion of interest payments. So in other words, the debt doubled. But the, the interest to service the debt actually never increased from 2008, even though it's more than a decade later. Yeah, what well, happened now? Yeah, well, it is going to now. A lot of things don't, a lot of them have fixed durations and other stuff. It's not an arms reset or something, but it is going to start pressuring interest rates higher. Okay, so, but the key uh, that I want to highlight is why didn't the stock market start to crash in 2004, 2005 uh, into, into that 2006? In fact, if I quickly show you here on a chart, this is the period going there. When those rate hike cycles were going, we had uh, the market still rising. Mm, right. And one of the reasons why it was still rising is because corporate earnings were still rising. We didn't see an earnings recession. We didn't see a downturn in real estate prices. None of those things happened yet because it was like boiling a frog. It was just the temperature was going up a little bit at a time, 25 basis points, and they didn't crack the market. So the point is the market kept rallying during the entire rate hike cycle. 
And uh, what what's interesting is that in 2007, when everybody started seeing subprime becoming a mess, real estate was already in shambles. Uh, you, you already had countrywide and other uh, uh, banks being taken over. Things were already stress points in there. The market uh, wasn't too worried about it. Financials were going down, but the rest of the stock market was was flat and elevated. One important thing for me, uh, people to remember is that during this period, the largest sector in the S&P 500, to my recollection, was energy. And ExxonMobil was actually the largest market cap company in the U.S. So this fangs kind of phenomenon that we had back then, sorry, uh, today, it, it wasn't back then. You know what else is funny, Patrick, because I just heard Snyder talking about some Fed minutes from the end of 2007. And yeah. what do you think they were talking about? They were talking about how the economy was strong because the labor market was so tight. Yeah. Literally exactly what they're saying today. It's amazing how that works out. But but what's yeah. interesting that I want to go on. So the Fed uh, basically kept interest rates. If we go back to uh, this chart, Fed basically back then in 2007 kept interest rates flat. Ben Bernanke basically took over and was like, listen, we got to see what's going on. We're not going to move. We're going to just stay thing. And, and they kept Fed funds rate actually unchanged for close to a year. But yet, in the uh, summer of 2007, suddenly um, you know, uh, two major subprime credit hedge funds under Bear Stearns blew up and there had to be a big bailout. Stock market goes tanking uh, 15% on the downside here. I'll show you on the chart, this drop. And okay. everyone was so sure that that was it. Just the way today with um, you know Silicon Valley Bank and all those regionals, uh, it's the equivalent of what was happening on there with subprime. And all the people that knew what was going on said, this is it. This is right. where Mike, Mike uh, Burry is already Burry. short. Everything is, is happening. And yet the stock market still in October managed to make a higher high. And the, the sell-off didn't happen till six months later. And then it was a real doozy. The point I'm trying to get across here is, is that uh, we, when we're seeing all of this negative bearish news, uh, there is no denying we are in a uh, we're we're 100% in a, uh, a monetary tightening cycle. We are in a, a credit tightening cycle. We're in an economic contraction cycle. Every uh, every uh, everything is structurally bearish. Everything right. is about things getting tight and 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 um and starting to contract and uh what but yet it doesn't mean that uh that it the if you short today like the one part that bugs me about today in my you know 20 some odd years of trading never has the market allowed me an easy entry into an amazing trade and the mm. thing is is the stock market sitting here inviting everybody to go short Come on in, take your short positioning. Look, all this crisis, all this stuff taking it, it feels like it's setting up still to actually um, uh, wash out short sellers in another go. And so yeah, that's I, why I, I called you because I was thinking about uh, buying puts on the S&P. Well, you know what? And we'll talk about how to put on a trade today that can be fixed and repaired and adjusted as if the market starts going against us. At the okay. same time, if you didn't put on any shorts, 
and the market started going down, you'd feel like an idiot. So you need to have something on because you, you, you sort of know where this is going to end, but you actually have to have a strategy how you're going to deal with being wrong for a reasonable period of time. Like you could be off by six months on the trade and you're going to need to find a way to actually manage through it uh, because it's not all going to fall apart necessarily tomorrow. And yeah. I think if my memory serves me well, the majority of the stock market decline, you know, when you look at it, hindsight being 2020 comes after the Fed actually drops rates after they do a quote unquote pivot. Yes. And so that's uh, actually, I have a slide on this. Basically, uh, if I just uh, go here, you can see that the first um, rate hike started in September of 2007 and uh, 50 basis points. And then in October, another 25 basis points. These were the two first reactions to the subprime crisis when uh, those uh, Bear Stern credit hedge funds blew up and, okay. and, and the thing. And so the Fed so said- So they start dropping rates in September of 2007. That was the quote unquote pivot last time. That was the pivot. Well, they, they left unchanged between 2006 and 2007, but it was September after that, that summer uh, chaos that Bernanke basically said, hey, we're going to start cutting. Okay. But the stock market doesn't have shit hit the fan till January. And then the real drop comes much later uh, when, we're, uh, when uh, we have basically um, uh, uh, when we have uh, the um, e actually look at this in April 2008, they're still cutting and the, the real crisis didn't happen till September. Right, the, right. The, the, po the point is, is, is that they have to cut because they already broke something. And that is actually where the problem is today is, is that we're trying to determine whether the um, regional bank crisis was the breaking thing. Is this the feedback mechanism of one negative thing breaks another negative thing that creates a systemic risk to the system that creates that, that spiral? Uh, but uh, I, uh, I would almost say that while regional banks could represent that risk, uh, it could also be a scenario where regional banks are patched up with uh, some Band-Aids, uh, things go fine, and then it will be when things like commercial real estate and, uh, uh, and um, uh, junk bonds and other things like this really start to get blown out. One of the, the biggest observations that we can observe about what happened to the reaction on regional banks was that uh, while bonds rallied, junk bonds didn't and what they did for the first time is we had credit spread steepening uh well we had it before earlier but the question uh, now is are we going to see the differentials between a high yield credit and uh and treasury widen when that happens that means that uh and it can happen because what we're who's the major supplier of credit to a lot of smaller uh, or the subprime companies it's more regional banks right. right like the the big boys lend to the high credit ones and the smaller banks are the ones that provide credit to commercial real estate to uh to some of the companies that um that uh, are a little riskier and pay a higher yield these are the uh, and now that credit market 
market has dried up. They can't find credit because these banks are worrying about shoring up their balance sheets, not creating more uh, credit to uh, to keep economy lubricated. And this is why there are genuine economic risks to the market. And one of the things that I would leave it at, uh, it, the, one of the simple things to really know when the market is going to break is when S&P earnings, you know, the earnings uh, uh, of the companies in the S&P 500 start to massively downturn. So just okay. to kind of give it a clue, in the 2000 downturn, we had a 50% contraction in corporate earnings. In 2008, we had a 90% wipeout of corporate earnings. Uh, in uh, 2014 to 16 period, we had about a 20% contraction of earnings. We had during COVID about a 30% contraction of earnings. And right now we're about 10% off the highs. Where, where, what's the difference between that orange line and that blue line? Blue line is the actual S&P. And the orange is actually okay. the earnings of the S&P 500. And so you can see the, that really the P.E. ratio matters, right? The price to the earnings is, is where uh, as, the, uh, as earnings disappear, the E and the P.E. disappears and suddenly stocks have to correct. Mm. And, uh, and so I really think the next major downturn is going to be very much associated when corporate earnings start to really feel the impact of a recession. That's a great uh, tip. And, and when, when we really see that crack, that's when the S&P will have no choice but to go down. Uh, now, look, uh, I'd like to be balanced. Maybe there's a chance as a soft landing. Uh, I don't, uh, it, obviously, when you have a stress system and a rate hike of this thing and inflation running the way it is, there's so many things that can break. And, uh, and maybe it does end really ugly. But this corporate earnings is going to be a real clue uh, as to uh, uh, when we go in, we're going right now to April earnings season. Imagine for one moment that from the last, because the, think about it, uh, the last quarter of earnings really um, had a pretty good January, February, and some of this regional uh, bank stuff could have started to wobble the earnings, but it's not really going to be uh, reflected on Q1 earnings that are reported here in April. And so it's possible if earnings stay stable on the reporting period in April, that the stock market may actually have a rally into May and June. It's possible. And, uh, and then when, when the impacts of a, a second half of the year recession start to emerge, that's when we can have the shit hitting fan uh, moment in, in the way it plays out. Yeah. I think the real takeaway I'm trying to get across, George, is that everyone that's so sure that it's just downsiding from the market needs to have a plan. Because there's a real chance that you're going to have that uh, Michael Burry moment where you are right on the idea, but you're early. And you're going to have to have the staying power to see the trade through to really make some good money on the other side. Right. That makes a lot of sense, Patrick. So how do we do that? What's the What are the top three strategies to make that happen? Well, uh, let's talk about shorting the market with options. And so uh, what, what I want to uh, talk about here uh, is, first of all, the one that everyone generally understands. And this is the idea of just going out there and buying a straight out put option on the downside. Yeah, that's now, what I was thinking. Just to be clear, uh, guys, I have a model portfolio in Rebel Capitalist Pro. Right now, it's pretty much gold and T-bills. So I'm waiting to deploy all of that dry powder that I have. And for the 
speculative side of that portfolio, that's what I was thinking about doing. I was thinking about buying uh, puts to play the downside and the S&P. So that was yeah. really kind of the genesis of this video. And if you guys want to check out that model portfolio and watch the progress here, uh, you can check out Rebel Capitalist Pro at georgegammon.com forward slash pro. But go ahead, Patrick. All right. Buying a put option. If you are immediately bearish and you believe the move is going to be a really big move, you know, like a, a, a three to five sigma kind of uh, a legitimate outlier uh, downside move in the market, except no substitute for buying long gamma through right put option, betting on that downside. But what is long gamma? I think that's uh, when uh, you start long... using those Greek terms. I think that's when people just okay. check out. No problem. So what this means is that you have convexity working in your favor. And what is convexity? It, uh, so what it means is that when you buy the option, the more you are right, the more the option starts to behave like the underlying position. So think about a put option is uh, at its uh, at a delta one, uh, minus one scenario is virtually a dollar for dollar short on the S&P. And so when you buy the put option, the more you are right, the more the put option is actually behaving like uh, the actual short sell. I'll actually demonstrate it to you in just a second. We'll put it into okay. a simulator. We'll look at real numbers and, and we'll, we'll. So we'll the more simulate. you're right, meaning the more the S&P 500 goes down, assuming and, that's your call. And the second part of that is while you paid a premium, a premium that you could lose in its entirety, but uh, as you are wrong, if let's say it goes the other way, the more and more you are wrong, the less and less you are losing. The rate of loss actually is perpetually slowing while you're wrong and is actually growing when you're right. For that, uh, for that relationship of convexity, you pay a premium uh, and that is why uh, you, and it costs you money for that privilege of, uh, of, of having that convexity. And so, um, and so you buy this. The other second element is your long volatility. So you've heard Chris Cole and other people talk about long vol. One of the single biggest things that happens during a market crash or some event is that VIX goes blowing out through the 40, 50, 60 level on the upside. The existing put option that you have is actually today being priced at the money around 20%, where the VIX is roughly around 20. And uh, and if you, uh, a little more expensive, we'll talk about that in a moment when you go a little farther out of the money on a volatility basis. But this is the beautiful part of the payoff about being right about short selling because you profit twice. Profit from being right on the price move and you profit from volatility expanding in your favor. Okay, so let and, me explain that here. Basically, when you buy a put, let's say the S&P 500 right now is at 4,000, just even number, and you buy a put, so what you're doing is you're basically buying insurance for the stock market going down. Uh, so let's say that that strike price, that the price you think it's gonna at least get down to is let's just say 3,800. Right. So then what happens is as the volatility increases, the price swings increase, this increases the probability that that strike price that you bet on is going to get hit. Therefore, the value of that insurance that you now own increases tremendously, even if the actual strike price has not been hit. But then if the strike does get hit, 
and it goes down further, now all of these other entities out there that are maybe long the S&P 500 or are in a very difficult position, they want that insurance that you now own. And therefore, you would assume that the demand skyrockets and therefore the price of what you own goes up. So this is what Patrick is talking about as far as getting paid or having the chance to make profit two completely different ways. I agree. And I think the best way is to actually visually illustrate this for everyone. Hey, guys, I want to remind you to check out Rebel Capitalist Pro. This is the incredible online investment forum that I have with investment experts, Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh. It includes professionals such as Patrick Serezna from Macro Voices. He specializes in options. Tony Greer, commodity trading. Jason Hartman, real estate. And Brent Johnson with macroeconomics. If you want to build wealth and thrive in this world of -of out-of-control central banks and big governments, Rebel Capitalist Pro is the resource you need. So check it out today at georgegammon.com forward slash pro. That's georgegammon.com forward slash pro. We'll see you inside with the fellow rebel capitalists that are taking their investing to the next level. So a big picture, we have this uh, option simulator. It's not the live market, but it does an actually really good job at simulating price behavior of options uh, on this. What we're doing here is we're just going to, for the simplicity of keeping uh, this example, we ha- we are going to assume the S&P is at 4,000. So we're trading SPX options in this case. And we're going to start with a 20 implied volatility just for the sake of, of this example, where roughly the VIX is right now, right? So what we're going to do is... In position one, so let's just say that uh, this I'm going to be position two, and you're going to be position one. Position one is I'm a short seller. I'm just going to come in there, and I'm going to lean into an outright S&P future short, or I'm going to go and short the SPY or something like this. And you're going to take on a short position in this market. Okay, so that's you. You're going to say I don't buy all this options jargon shit you're doing, Patrick. I'm just going to short the market. Okay, so here you're going to let's say short a hundred shares of uh, of um, or hundred units of the S&P. And so what you can see at a four thousand S&P price, you've under taken a $400,000 short sell of 100. So you're short $400,000 of the S&P 500, right? This is what an, a traditional short seller would do. So let's talk about the uh, volatility and all of these things. So I, on the other hand, will say I, rather than short selling the market, am going to buy, let's say a three month or let's even, uh, yeah, let's do a three month put option on my forecast that I believe the stock market is going to, for instance, head lower between now and July. So I'm going to calculate this out. This option cost me $179 a unit or $17,000 to, uh, or close to $18,000 in order to actually uh, be controlling the right to sell the market at 4000 so, uh, so I am going to actually participate. So now what we have here in the final column, I want you to observe Delta dollars. You notice here, your Delta dollar position is minus 400,000. Mine is only minus 190,000. Let's just call it 200,000 for just keeping it simple to the listener. 
Okay. That means that right now my put option is starting right now to behave as though I was short 200,000. I only had to outlay seven, $18,000 cash. So you, on the other hand, had to come up with all of the collateral and margin to carry $400,000 of market short. Are you following along so far? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now what I want to do is show the impact of volatility. What do you, what do you want to simulate a VIX move in isolation? So let's just do like a, like a, a, a 40. 40. So let like an algebra thing, we're going to leave all other variables the same. I just want to demonstrate to all of uh, the, the watchers what happens when volatility goes from 20 to 40. So I'm going to jump it here. And what you can observe is the value of the option went from 179,000 to 357,000. And I'm up 17,000, even though the market didn't change in price. Right. This was purely the fact that the implied volatility would doubled in its price. And therefore, the option became that much more expensive. So, so your out-of-pocket originally was 19000 roughly. 18000 And I'm basically up 100% with a doubling okay. of the volatility. Okay. Right? Got it. Uh, 100% on the uh, risk outlay. I don't actually like to look at it that way. I actually like to look at it that I'm replicating your short sell, not uh, an option speculation. Why do I mean uh, that? Well, watch this. What I want, remember I talked about convexity and gamma. So watch what happens if we were early and this market rallies, let's say, let's get, say 30 days into holding this position. The S&P goes to, let's say, 4,100. Notice the short seller is down $10,000 in loss. Mm -hmm. I'm down about 7,000. But what had happened to your delta dollars on your short position? You're now uh, carrying a $410,000 short sell. That's its value here. But me... I'm a now not $200,000 short. I'm only 150,000 Delta dollar short. So now watch what happens to the rate of loss. If it goes to 4,200, suddenly you're down 20,000, but I'm only down 10,000. I only lost $3,000 further while you kept losing another 10,000. And now look at how much my Delta dollar short is here, 120,000. So what's happening is the more wrong I get, the, the rate of loss gets slower. This is uh, uh, versus that of someone that is short. Right. Now, what happens the opposite way? Let's, let's start with, let's say, a 10% market drop. The market goes to 3,600 in, in 30 days. Notice here, for sure, the short seller starts off stronger out of the gate. Um, $40,000 in profit and being short. And we're only at start up 24,000. We're still more than double on the value of the put option, but not as much as the short seller who'd be up 40,000 because uh, they were sh uh, short more Delta right off the bat. But notice the difference between our Delta dollars now between you, which is at what? 360,000, right? You are now short as a short seller, $360,000 of the S&P. But how much is my put now short? $300,000. I'm very close to now actually the put option behaving almost identical to the short. Watch what happens when another 10% drop happens to 3,200. Suddenly you're short 320,000 
and I'm short 316,000. We've reached a point where literally the put option now is actually replicating the outright short sell that you, you put on. Yep. Yep. So, so notice the, the, the Delta path, that's the convexity. This is the fact that the more I'm wrong, the rate of loss slows. And the more I'm right, the more the put behaves like the downside of the market. Okay. So let's so if we let's say saw the S&P go down to 3000 a common forecast by many uh macro pundits out there notice here you would be sh uh, profitable by $100,000 on your short sell and I would be profitable by $80,000 on my put more or less the put option did a very good job at replicating the majority of the drop that you made as a short seller but if the, uh, but at the same time, I knew exactly what my worst case scenario was. I knew what my risk was limited. And uh, this comes at the cost of time decay, right? So when we go back to the slide, what you see here is that final point is poor market timing and time decay are your enemy. If nothing is happening and the market just stays the same and just grinds, and grinds and grinds, that $18,000 premium becomes uh, 16,000, becomes 14,000, becomes 12,000. And that's not because the market is moving, that's because you physically paid the premium to own this put option to express your short sell. And you and because you're early and you, uh, and you didn't nail it, you're actually suffering um, that time decay for the carry cost of that option. Right. Okay, so we 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 totally get the setup. The first strategy we'll say is just buying outright puts on the S and P five hundred. Right. So what and would strategy two and three well, be? Well, before, before be? we do two, let's yeah. just make one thing very clear because which is just we got to give criteria to our to your listeners. You have to believe the market is going down right now, and you have to believe it's going to go down a lot. Like you have to, you to have to be just, out, to just, to, to just buy put. outright puts to okay. make that the best strategy out of all of these. You need to be super bearish and you have to have a high conviction that the shit's hitting fan right now. And you generally want to buy it in lower volatility conditions before volatility goes skyrocketing. And you have to pay two or three times the amount to buy that put. Okay. Okay. Got it. So, so now, uh, the second, uh, uh, way to approach this is through buying a put debit spread. And the, uh, idea behind a put debit spread is you buy that one put option and you sell a lower strike put option to earn an income premium back so that you create a sliver of the market that you want to participate in. So let's just say that you believed uh, that the S&P 500 was going to 3,000 and it was going to do so in the next six months. Okay. So now what you say is I want to open a trade that gives me the participation on the downside of the market between 3,500 down to 3,000. So you're basically choosing this 500-point sliver and you're saying, this is the sliver where I want a participation in. And I'm going to buy a $3,500 strike put, sell the 3000 and I make all of the profit in between. Now, why would you do this? All right. Well, the number one reason is it reduces the cost of the trade considerably uh, because you're offsetting 
one long option with a short option, you're earning some income somewhere versus just paying it outright. And this uh, allows you uh, to have a reduced theta bleed because what you're losing on the one option, you're gaining on the other. And therefore, the rate, uh, the cost of carry becomes cheaper. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and so you have more longevity with a, uh, with a spread trade without uh, just chewing up uh, you know, your, your aggressive bet that the market was going to go straight down. Um, uh, it also reduces all of the option Greeks because we are, where you're long Vega, you're short Vega. When you're long uh, Delta, you're short Delta. When you're long uh, uh, Theta, you're short Theta. Like you're basically hedging out almost all of the option Greeks. So your overall position is far less volatile. So you're going to have a much smoother experience in this. It's a, it's a lot easier on um, your mental health. <laughs> in, in, in terms of like those people that, uh, you know, uh, are want to be aggressive, but don't want that extra uh, kind of volatility whip of watching their accounts go uh, whipping back and forth. This allows them to smooth out the, the view. The second thing is the skew is in your favor. And so let's uh, do an introduction to the option skew for members here. This chart here is showing you the S&P's implied volatility over the last few weeks uh, on this particular April option. But I wanna focus on this skew. Now, I, I, uh, to a lot of non-options traders, uh, this uh, seems intimidating. And you'll hear someone like a, a Jem Carson or a Brent Kachuba or any of these other option guys talk about the, the way that the skew is formed on, on the S&P 500. But um, let, let's super simplify this. This is the vol implied volatility price that you have to pay uh, for a, an option at a particular strike. Why is it not a flat line, like a horizontal flat line. Why has it got this happy face skew, a smirk with the with the smirk on the one side? It's because, the, have you ever heard that adage? Maybe I've said it to you before, but the markets um, rise on an escalator and drop an on an elevator. Have you heard right. that one? Oh, yeah. Okay. So when the markets are rising, they methodically rise. But when shit hits the fan and a liquidity event occurs, correlation of all assets goes to one and things just go bam and drop real quick. So uh, you, the market has to price that market relationship into the way they price options. And therefore, buying left tail risk is far more expensive than buying right tail risk. Right, meaning that uh, left tail risk is, is risk crashes. That you're gonna you're gonna have a big price decline. Where right tail yeah. risk is that it's the stock market's gonna you know crash upwards. Higher. Yes, yeah. Yeah. exactly. And so what you, this is showing is that as you go to lower and lower strikes, the options become more and more expensive on a uh, volatility basis. They might still on a price basis be cheaper, but you're paying a much higher implied volatility to buy those out of the money options. And so what happens is that when you open a, a spread and we'll do a look at an options chain, you are actually profiting or at least benefiting from the fact that you are buying 
a lower volatility option and selling a much richer, higher premium, farther out of the money option and getting a much richer premium for it. As an example, you can see here on an options chain, we have to look on the uh, right hand side to look at um, uh, the put options, right? So it's call options on uh, the left and uh, it's put options on the right. And what you can see is, do you see here this IV close? This is the implied volatility. Notice that path. On a 4,100, it's a 16% implied vol. Oh, then it goes to 20, to 24, to 28, to 31, to 34, 37, 40, 44. You see that? Yeah, the, so it, gets uh, the implied, yeah. it gets more and more expensive on an implied volatility basis the farther you go out of the money. But this actually can work in your favor uh, because let's just say we went out to, I don't know, let's say September. We're going to go out and say we're going to give it 170 days, almost six months. And what you can observe is that uh, you uh, can actually pick up much richer, bigger premiums farther out of the money, making spreads cheaper to open. So as an example, Let's say the $3,500 strike put option is $73, right? And a $3,000 put option, like the trade we were talking about earlier, is $27. So we're buying $73, and so we're paying out of our pocket $73 per, per unit and receiving back $27 per unit as income for selling the $3,000. Yeah, so now we're still on talking about strategy number two. Yes, we're talking the spread, and this is now costing us $45 to open, roughly. I'm obviously rounding. I don't want right. to pull out a calculator. But the point is, is that what is the width of the spread? The width of the spread is 500 points. And how, much, how many S&P points are we paying for the spread? 45 points. So that spread, if the market crashed, and you were right about the timing, could at its maximum value be worth 500. You could be up 1,000% on the spread. That $45 could turn into 500, right? But now, instead of having to outlay $18,000 for the put option like we did in the first example, here we only had to fork out $4,500 to be in the spread. Because we're paying for the put but you're, but that you purchased, but yet you're collecting a premium on the put that you sold, just to be right. clear. So that premium that you're collecting for Reduces the sale the is giving you income that offsets the out-of-pocket cost for purchasing the put outright. Yeah. And so the way that I would describe this is those of your listeners that are smaller account traders. And by the way, you could do this on the SPY and the SPY is one tenth of the price. And so we're here where we're talking four and a half thousand dollars in the SPY to do a one contract would be $450. So when you're talking to your smaller account listeners that would like to speculate that the market is going to, let's say, crash. This was a six-month option pricing in the live market here. What we were basically saying is you could outlay 450 bucks, roughly, and if you're right and the market crashes below 3000 it could be worth as much as uh, as uh, $5,000. You can okay. potentially even make a 10-bagger for being right about the market crash. Okay, and the so Patrick, I, I want to go ahead and, and, and start to 
summarize and close out step number two or the option, the mm -hmm. strategy number two, and move on to strategy number three. Because I, I think that gives us a good overview. And yeah. then we get into the next strategy. And if people want to find out more, then they can check out your website or they can go oh, to Rebel yeah. Capitalist Pro. But I, I don't want to get too far into the weeds on this just Let's because we're already 45 minutes into the live stream. All right. Oh uh, yeah, well well listen, I'm going to give uh, I'm going to give one of my favorite ways to play this. And in fact, uh, this calendared straddle that I'm going to describe here is actually one that we're publishing at Big Picture Trading for the way that we actually are are uh, going to put on this position. It's our way of protecting ourselves if we're early to the trade. And so what um uh, what uh, you have to a uh, when you well, first of all you, you must have heard uh, the long vol people talk straddles, like whether it's Chris Cole or, or, or a Mike Green or any of these uh, guys that were talking about long volatility strategies. Being long a straddle is one of the ways that they love implementing a long volatility strategy. The thing is a traditional straddle is quite uh, directionally agnostic. All they give a shit is that the market moves in a really big way, one direction or the other. Yeah, vol right? increases, because long vol. Long, well, long vol could increase from a, a volatility perspective and or the actual price change in the index makes a really big move on either end. All they need is there to be lots of volatility in the market. And, they, and because they're buying both an equal call and a put – uh, at the same strike in the same price, pretty much, they don't really give a shit whether that moves to the upside or the downside. They're right. they're they're straddling it in. It's a much more expensive way of implementing the trade, and I tend to not like to just do it in a traditional straddle form because I have a bias, just like you do. Why mm. did you have me on? Because you have a bias. You think the market's going down, so why right. the hell am I going to pay up? to buy this super expensive call option when I clearly have a bias. And so what uh, we do, and we'll just talk about it in a, a high level way, but what you do is you, uh, if your conviction that the market is going down, you take that longer term core put positioning that you uh, want to put on and you pair it with a call. But rather than making the call the same one, you basically do a much shorter dated call option. If okay. Let's say you're calendaring it. And the reason is very simple. What if right now we shorted this market and the S&P rips to 4,300? Well, that put option is going to eat it. But that short-term call option, because it's higher in gamma and more convex, will often be able to dent if not even fully cover the loss that you're incurring on the put by having this shorter data call, then it allows you this amazing thing. You play golf. I sort of play golf, but, but <laughs> you, you heard of this thing called a mulligan, right? What this allows you to do is if the market rips to 4,300, you are actually not far off from break even. You tried to short the market at 4,000, you were spectacularly wrong, and you're not really losing a lot of money. So what do you get to do? Close the trade and reopen the trade again at 4,300, even though you were wrong on the first one. It's like in golf, you, yeah. take, a, you take a shot, boom, it's sliced down, and you drop another one, let me try this one again. It's not always going to cover all of the loss, but it allows you 
to actually be able to strategically um, uh, kind of mess around with trying to find where ultimately the market tops. And then when it does turn, then you got that longer dated put and bam, you're making all of the money on the downside there. And that uh, is a, one of the ways that we love to market time. We don't have to be perfect about the technicals and the moment it's starting. I can, we can mess around and adjust the trade and, and have a lot of forgiveness in it to discover where the final top of the market is. That's, okay. uh, and that's like one of my favorite ways to approach it, buddy. Yeah, so let me summarize here this last, this third strategy is you uh let's say you sell or excuse me you buy a put let's say six months out but then you sell a call no three buy, months a call. Out. buy a call you're buying both oh okay so so you so you're not getting a premium no what you're, you're doing not. is you're just you're just making a you're bet or just hedging your bet that it goes up then you get paid on the call that you purchased and then that offsets your cost or the loss that you have but. on the put that you purchased outright right Okay. And and one of the things like if anyone is more interested in seeing me model this out, I'm uh, I'm going to be obviously with my big picture trading members doing that as we put this trade on. So if anybody uh, wants to check it out, can certainly uh, check out big picture trading and see what uh, what what we're doing on there. But the yeah, key but is just to be clear, Josh, can you put that up there? I, I just assuming this is obvious, but I just want to point it out to the, yeah, the viewers. Thank you. There Thanks, you go. So bigpicturetrading.com. You had Patrick's website on there. So it's not .com Patrick's website. <laughs> Just to be clear, it was, it was all like all one word up there. <laughs> <laughs> no, th thanks for catching that. But listen, yeah. like uh, I, I'm looking forward to it. And George, you know, me and you stay in touch. Uh, happy to kind of talk you through it if uh, if this is the way you want to uh, be interested in, in putting it on. The key thing that I want everyone to just uh, reflect is what we started with. Uh, think, think Michael Burry. The bottom line is, is that it really feels like some something is wrong. But you know what? In early 2007, going into the summer of 2000, it also felt like there was a lot of things going wrong. But the bear market was still six months forward. You have to recognize that sometimes the market takes much longer for something to realize than we think. And if you are too, the, you don't want to see this big pile of money in front of you and you run uh, to go and shovel it into your wheelbarrow and suddenly you're, you run and you trip and you miss, the, uh, miss it because you were too early and running too quick. You know, you have to basically recognize that there's going to be an amazing opportunity at some point. And uh, you just have to make sure you don't go all in on a short sell and then watch it chew you up. And then when you actually need to be short, you have no emotional capital left. Uh, you're just emotionally broken from uh, from not wanting from all the losses and and waiting that you at the time when you are supposed to be short, you won't want to be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. it's the way it ends up happening a lot of times. We're our own worst enemy, uh, especially in trading and investing. Just letting those emotions take control is the the quickest way to the poor house. I I have a great, I have a, I have a great, I have a great story uh, of how that happened. I short sold Tesla three separate times <laughs> and lost <laughs> all three. And when finally it was time to make money off of uh, off Tesla going down, I didn't short it. 
Yeah, when it actually it's, did go down. When it actually, when it, when it had the big, and it was because all the hype and all the people talking about, uh, you know, the uh, Tesla Q and and uh, and all of this, and they built up so much hype too early. And I kept uh, thinking it was a great idea. And then when it was time to short it, I didn't want to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, makes sense. it's uh it, it that's that's the part of trading right like you um anyway that's my little uh, nugget for the end there yeah and guys if you want more insights more experience more wisdom like this from the pros definitely check out rebel capitalist pro uh i'm in there doing live streams with members patrick's in there brent johnson lynn alden chris mcintosh jason hartman uh, you got to try it out. It's absolutely awesome. And you can check that out at georgegammon.com forward slash yeah. pro. Uh, Patrick, thanks a lot for coming on. And Anytime. Uh, I yeah, I can't wait to implement these strategies in that model portfolio that I have. Uh, I'm just looking at that yield curve and understanding that the, the, the stuff is most likely going to hit the fan here in the next three or four months. And I just want to make sure I'm prepared. So thanks yeah. for giving me those insights. No problem. No problem. Thanks a lot for having me. Uh, I love being a part of Rebel Capitalist Pro. It's such a, a great program you have over there. And I'm honored that I'm part of it. And thank you for everything, George. All right, guys. Enjoy the rest of your evening. We'll see you in the next video.